Welcome to No Challenges Remaining here in the first week of August. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by two repeat guests to talk. It feels like more things are always changing, but also sort of always the same. It's interesting. Reem Abulail and Tamani Carriol back here. Reem Abulail, uh, first, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me again. For sure. And Tamani Carriol of The Guardian. Tamani, thanks for being back here once more. Hello. Thank you for having me again. So I feel, again, it's a sort of Groundhog Day type feel in some ways, because obviously things are moving forward. Time is marching on. Uh, we are in August. I have my half birthday two days ago. Things, life is progressing. But I, as Rafa would say, I'm now 33 and a half. But um, I, I do think, <laughs> cracks me up, by the way, how Rafa always has it, puts and a half in his age. It's, it's, it's adorable. Um, I don't know why I was mentioning that. Anyway. Some things are happening, some tournaments are getting canceled, some tournaments are being held. We do have the first official tournament actually going on now. Uh, the WTA Palermo tournament is underway this week. And we got some more news about USTA protocols for the US Open that came out today uh, through semi-official channels. So I'm curious to start with Palermo, I think, is the one that's actually a real sort of pro progress development for us here. Uh, what you make of what's been going on from Palermo so far, just the a WTA tournament being underway for the first time in uh, five months. And what it's been like, all of us have been covering it virtually a bit. Uh, Reem, I'll start with you, because you were doing a bunch of pre-press too. What, what have you made of Palermo so far, both from, a, I guess, a player perspective and also from a coverage perspective? Maybe player side first. Uh, I have to say, it, it was a very, very smooth couple of days of pre-tournament press. It, uh, it was very smooth. Uh, one thing I noticed is actually there weren't that many journalists at all doing pre-tournament press. No. The ones that I, the three players I requested, uh, it was just myself and Courtney, and that was it. No. There was no one else. And Courtney was involved in a bunch of other ones that only had one or two people as well. So that, that kind of took me by surprise. I thought there would be so much attention considering people have been really wanting tennis to come back. And I was like, but why does nobody care? Like, I was very, very surprised. I was, I was surprised by that too, just to start with that. I mean, I was not, did not do the pre-press stuff. I feel like I didn't have as clear a sense of when exactly they were happening as I did for later stuff also. That's my, my own fault, I feel like. But also, I, I guess that kind of has to reflect on what the field is there, right? Not really big name players in Palermo to speak of. There's not like, if Simona Howell had been there, maybe it would be different, but... I mean, it's not a, not a star-studded field in Palermo, really, by any stretch, I don't think. Um, I understand that, but I also think it's a big deal anyway, just from a purely... I agree. From, from a logistical perspective, from, like, how, how is, how, what is happening. We also have not spoken to too many players uh, during lockdown, right, and during the past five months. I mean, we obviously have spoken to some players, but... Um, not not in an official capacity at all, and I feel like a lot of the questions you would really want to ask anybody. That it doesn't matter if you're yeah. talking to a number one or a number twenty. At least that's how I felt. Or number eighty, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's the same kind of questions. It, they're all in the same boat at the moment. They're all affected by the exact same things. So. Um, I, I found that uh, in terms of how everything went, everything was very smooth. Every single player that I spoke to, 
honestly, they were there on time. There's they, The Zoom thing went great and I got what I needed. So from that perspective, I was pleasantly, uh, I wouldn't say a surprise, but I was just like, it was, it was very encouraging to know that considering that this was literally day one of press for tennis coming back and that there was no technical issues and things were fine. Yeah, yeah technically it was pretty sound. Go ahead, Tamani. I was, was going to just agree and say that this is kind of the first glimpse of what the pre- the new normal looks like. So I agree with Reem that just like you, you would think that there'll be more interest to speak to all these players. And yeah, it also like seeing I, I wasn't part of all of the press conferences, uh, virtual press conferences, but it felt a bit like the first day of the season as well, where everyone was just so happy to be back, you know, and you know, <laughs> nothing really mattered aside from the fact that they're, they're back on the court again. So, yeah. The other thing I would say about talking to people, it was interesting, from this, again, from a player side, and I actually will put in some audio here from this clip that I did this, this interview today with Alexandra Sasnovich. It was interesting hearing her talk about what it's been like in Belarus with during the pandemic, which I had no con no sense of really and like and just how different different people's experiences are here i mean i'll play the clip for her now what is what is it like at around the the players what is the sort of atmosphere like at, at the tournament with everybody being back for the first time but also you know having to keep distance and wear masks and everything just what is the what is the environment like yeah, there we, we keep distance but we are uh, continue talking to each other continue to make a friendship practicing it's normal it's everyone's happy i think to see each other or someone probably not so happy but i'm happy to see them you know after fifth months we didn't see each other it's nice it's nice that stan is back yeah the people i i'm sure the people was waiting for the tennis it's very interesting sport are, are a lot of things still open in in belarus um yeah we can go yeah it okay. was not quarantine was not quarantine in our okay. country okay. the people was uh, without the mask so it's for me it's the first time i wear the mask here yeah in plane it starts from the plane and here yeah because sure. normally i didn't go to shopping or some stuff like this because a lot of people i don't want to get some virus if i sure. have chance i stay yeah, yeah. it's like and so as you heard her say there, like people are walking around, you know, not wearing masks, like not like stuff is still open. She said she was trying to avoid, you know, crowded malls and areas of like more likely, you know, dense population, but otherwise it's just different. And I think, I think Annette Contevate, I believe was saying the similar thing too, like there hasn't been much mask wearing at all in Estonia. And so this is an adjustment for her get doing it on the, on the plane for the first time. And, you know, just everyone's having their own very different as much as this we're all in this together in some ways we're all having our own separate adventures within within this context yeah regarding belarus um like there was a point in like march where it the football in belarus the yeah, soccer it was the last league left that's right. yeah so they were playing soccer and you know that was the only thing that people were covering <laughs> the only sport people could cover so yeah like and, and i mean as you said in in reem's piece which i guess we'll talk more about that was the most striking thing um from Contivate that she was like, you know, she'd left the room and she was like, oh my God, I, I need to put my mask on. So um, I think that was interesting, just as you said, just to see the different perspective and and we're going to see all these diff- all people from coming from different perspectives in one place and we'll see how they all act, right? 
Yeah, Reem, I, I wanted to get to your, you finally alluded to your piece, but basically the, the main gist of your piece was that players really are not totally on the same page right now, which I guess goes to the disparate experiences sorry, during, during pandemic, different geographic places, but also just different cultural attitudes toward it. I mean, the one sort of, I guess, probably fair to say outlier in your piece uh, is Donna Vekic, who is one of the, uh, who's an Adria Tour alumna. And uh, and so she comes at it from maybe with a different attitude, maybe from other people. I'll put in some audio from the video that you posted of, of Donna here. Um, but then I'm curious to get your thoughts after that on, yeah, on the, the lack of harmony, I guess it's probably fair to say, from the, from the players. And then also uh, Vekic, I guess, in particular, in particular, because she's gotten a lot of reaction for what she said. Well, I just think it's a little bit frustrating not being able to have my my full team with me on site. Uh, that that's definitely been been challenging. I think other than that, um, I don't know. I I cannot uh, I cannot and I don't want to complain about the hotel about the site because uh, I know it's not uh, easy financially for the tournament. And honestly, I'm really happy to be here. So I don't want to complain about these things. It's just more about these restrictions uh, on site that are a little bit more frustrating to me. So how many people are you allowed to have at the WTA tournament? Just one. Ah, okay. I mean, I would hope that they will because I have a feeling that in New York it will be a real bubble. You know, here they talk about us being in the bubble, but it's not at all. So uh, I don't want to pretend like I, for sure I'm careful and cautious, but I don't want to pretend that I'm locked in the room the whole day when I'm not. I went to uh, dinner in the city and for sure we're being careful and not being close to people, but I'm not locked in the in the room and 90% of the players aren't. So I don't want to uh, say that, uh, you know, this is, I know everyone's trying really hard, but we don't have that kind of bubble here. Whereas I hope in New York, there will actually be fines. And then everyone, if everyone respects that and it makes sense, then yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. But if the rules are contradicting each other, then it makes no sense. Yes, uh, I kind of felt that uh, Donna was a little bit all over the place uh, in terms of she does come off uh, or sound as if that she's just being careless, which perhaps she's not, uh, because she she did say I am being careful to, and at this point I think careful is very uh, subjective. Every person yeah. thinks careful is a different thing. Her level of, of careful is not the same level of careful as everybody else, and and that's the biggest honestly the, the the biggest takeaway for me having having spoken already to players in the last few weeks and then speaking to the players in palermo is really nobody's on the same page um everybody's worried about something different they only agree on the fact that they want to play that's kind of yeah. uh, by evidence of them being in palermo yeah exactly although someone like ons jabur for example she plans on playing kentucky and and cincy and us open and but she if she'd rather not, she doesn't want to play. She's one of, she's one of the few people who, who feels like it's too soon and she'd rather not. But, uh, but yeah, obviously if you're in Palermo, then you want to play. And that's the only thing they agree on. Um, Donna basically wanted to point out her main thing is that we're not really in a bubble. And I understand because 
the WTA did not claim to have a bubble. They never claimed that they're going to have a bubble in any tournament. But they're trying to be as careful as possible. And they're encar- the thing is, they're encouraging players, making recommendations. All of the- these things make it sound very vague. It's not a rule. And I think players, you know how they are with everything. It has to be a rule so that if they plan on breaking it, they know they're breaking a rule, you know? So, when, for example, the difference between Sakari and Vekic, who are very good friends, and we're practicing together in Monaco right before uh, going to Palermo, is that Maria Sakari is saying, no, I'm trying to spend uh, very little time on site, and I'm trying to be in my room the whole time. She said it's a little bit tricky that the hotel, there's no room service, which is obviously a big thing. So she said that... get. Yeah, she said, so sometimes you need to step outside to get food, pick up food or something. But she prefers to spend most of the time in her room. That's not what Donna's saying. Donna's like, listen, I'm not going to pretend that we're in a bubble because we're not in a bubble. And I went uh, out for dinner and I did this and this. and that. But then she's like, however, if the U.S. Open, it's going to be a proper bubble. Of, of course, I'll follow the rules and I'm all for that. But then she goes and says... I don't believe in, I asked her specifically, how strict do you think things should be at the US Open? And she said, well, there needs to be some common sense and it's fine if you go for a walk. So she's basically going back and forth a bit on where she stands. And I'm assuming that's not just her. That's probably a lot of others as well. I think what you're saying is right in terms of tennis players. I think they really appreciate, I mean, you know, if I was someone who's like a more literary writer, I would probably talk about how, you know, every ball is clearly in or out and it's very black and white in tennis. And they kind of, they like that sort of absoluteness of that mm. and that clarity of that. Um, and I do think tennis as a structural sport within the lines has a lot of clarity to it. Uh, it's not like there's really judgment calls made too often during a tennis match by officials or anything like that. But I, I, so I do wonder like, this lack of clarity and this lack of like, right. It's not a bubble that they're in in Palermo. Let's, let's emphasize that. Like we're seeing yeah. NBA come back stateside. We obviously did a podcast with the other sports writers. We're, we're talking about NBA coming back in a bubble. NHL is back in a bubble. Both those sports are up and running. US Open is planning on being a bubble uh, of sorts. Although again, it's just so many moving parts in that bubble compared to a team sport. But anyway, um, yeah. Palermo is not. Palermo is just a tournament that's weathering the storm around it essentially, but still, more or less going on ahead and so yeah without without rules players find different ways and yeah it's striking when donna is posting you know sort of touristy photos of herself on her instagram in palermo which is just so not what you see these days um but to her it might feel normal and it, it, you know, to mention uh, petra Marta, which i think is kind of on the other side of the scale but also croatian so to say i'm not painting with broad you know national brushes mm. here even within a small country mm. like croatia there's different different opinions uh Tumani, go ahead yeah and I, I think it's important to note as well like just the the vet like where they are the city you know i'm sure w- when the players are you know going from the hotel to the venue that like they're seeing people who are quite living quite freely you know and mm-hmm. c- cases in palermo the cases are low and you know I'm, i imagine that there's some kind of normalcy you know has returned to the city in in a way that like the U.S. tournaments, I mean, in, in the U.S. as well, where cases are still rising. I mean, it's a completely different environment, and that's particularly why the a, a strict bubble is kind of, you, you can't function without it. So, yeah, I, I mean, as you said, it's, it's different perspective. It's also completely different countries and in different, you know, parts of 
you know, coming off in, in terms of, you know, where, where the coronavirus is. And so there's so many kind of variables right now. I think with Donna as well, one another takeaway was from from our conversation was um, she doesn't seem too happy about the fact that she can't have her entire uh, team on site. Uh, and she said that she was frustrated uh, by that. And I found that a huge contrast, for example, to what someone like Richard Gasquet told uh, Quentin, uh, our colleague yeah. who works on L'Equipe. It was a really good interview. And um, what Gasquet is the complete opposite perspective of, guys, we're lucky to be doing this. No one is living a comfortable life at the moment. We should suck it up. And it's just so jarring how different the views are. You, you're talking from one side, a, a player is frustrated that she can't have everyone with her on site, even though she can easily leave site and go to the hotel and get treatment and do whatever with the rest of her team. And she's actually out and about and can do whatever she wants. And then from the other side, you have someone saying, "I'm, a, it's going to be a pain, but it's fine. I'll stay for three weeks indoors, and, and it's going to be okay." And I'm not. Fu-. So I don't know. I, it's it's very interesting for me to see all of these very different views on things. And I think t- tennis players are not used to giving up on anything. Like they don't give up on the the tiny luxuries or privileges that they're given anywhere. We see them even sometimes at tournaments when, uh, let's say, they have a lot of credit on their badges and they didn't use up all, all the money on their badges for food and they're leaving sites and taking boxes of food with them, you know? It's just because we're rich, but we love freebies and yeah. we love yeah. our little privileges and you know what I mean? So I can only imagine how it's going to be like for them locked in hotel rooms for three weeks in the States, or at least for the ones who will make it deep in the tournament. Obviously, not everyone will be there for three weeks, but yeah. This has been the conversation we've been having, you know, talking about Sasha Zverev and other sort of, you know, flare-ups of selfishness during this time that we've seen, like, our tennis players programmed to be team players. Like, obviously, Gasquet, like you're saying, is, is, is and Gasquet also said separately in that interview that he thinks it's not a good idea for non-bubble tournaments to happen. Like he hears that the Palermo yeah. hotel is not exclusively being used by tennis tournament folks. It's still open to the public and stuff. And that's also the same one event I also mentioned here, uh, world team tennis, which was sort of a semi bubble. It was more of a bubble than most things because it didn't involve a lot of travel and players were all staying at the same place and competing at the same place as they were staying. But the resort itself, Greenbrier in West Virginia was still had plenty of other guests. And plenty of other people were like popping in, you know, for a day or two to watch the tennis. Um, for or people even within tennis were sort of going in there, and you know, um, and the testing there. I've heard I've heard some some skepticism people on the grounds about how great the testing actually was. People talk about like mitigating the risk, and the, the thing is, the risk can never be zero. It will never be zero in any of these situations, no matter how good your your bubble is, pretty much. But um, yeah, I think I think sometimes people are giving themselves too much credit for relatively minor uh mitigations that are happening yeah absolutely and uh, on the um world team tennis also you'd see like very early you'd see pictures of players taking pictures with fans and like taking their mask off and you know or even just some rules of tennis like they had they had the um they had like there were originally rules like they won't sit together on the bench like sit far apart they like won't like high five and then like within days like and this is something that who was it yeah it was kaya yuvan kaya yuvan in 
Palermo. Actually, I'll put this clip in here. Basically, I asked her because today she won her match against um, somebody good. Who was it? Against uh, Von Drosha. Yeah. And then she um, threw her like visor and wristbands into the crowd afterwards. So, like some kids were gathered by the fence, which is like very normal. But here's her explanation of why she did that. And I saw at the end after you won the match, you were throwing your your things to the crowd, your like your visor <laughs> and your sweatband. I saw. I think the umpire was telling you not to do that or something. What, what was happening there? Because obviously there's a bunch of different new new rules to worry about now. Well, obviously we get tested a lot. Um, so I understand their concern. Uh, it was actually, you know, like an instinct. I usually give this stuff uh, like to people if they, they really want it from me, like kids. Um, but you know, we're, we're, all of us that are here are negative. So um, I was like, well, I got the result again today. So I thought, okay, well, I might as well give it to them. And um, yeah, maybe I won't do it the next few days just because of their principle, but I don't know. And as you hear from Kyle Yuvan, she said there that she did that because she felt like she was negative. She like tested negative a couple of times, so she's safe, so everything's cool. And like, no, like that's not how the incubation period works. Like I understand a lot of people need to have sort of want to feel less stressed and to take and to relax and to put their let their guard down a little bit and it is exhausting having your guard up all the time for sure but it's also just like at world intense forever like i was very nervous when i saw those photos of the trophy ceremony and all these people crowding around billy jean king who is in her late mid late 70s and i just uh do not want any of these people getting billy jean king sick i will absolutely uh absolutely uh i was gonna say cut a bitch but that's not really the tone of this of this podcast but like i will be mad I will be mad if that happens. Put it that way. <laughs> you will slice slice the person. I will slice an individual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that's sort of Palermo. I, other thought just on the media side of it. So what is it like as for us as reporters? Do you feel like you can cover a tournament um, adequately with just uh, remote access like this? I, I mean, I'll, I'll start. I mean, in in a way, like for me as you've kind of had to over the past like few months you know so, right, many, choice. Yeah. so many zoom calls right and i mean i think there's kind of in some ways like that that you know speaking to a some a, a player in while they're sitting at home you know that that maybe they're a bit more open than when they're in the middle of a tournament yeah. but and, and and as you you've both said this so far this has been quite smooth and quite you know it's not been as difficult but i don't know i, I do think that this you know pers- you know having a personal you know being in the room speaking to someone face to face i mean i don't think anything really compares to that and so that, that's for me the the biggest kind of well, one of the biggest like issues I, I don't really like speaking to people on on video if 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 you have to sorry guys yeah no it, it, it's just sort of hard to create the right tone i think also when you're on a video call and there's like you a third and i'm not even blaming wta for this but like, there's like you the person and then like even if you're the only reporter there's the the wta minder like right there also like it's mm. just you, you try i mean part of doing interviews is trying to make the player feel comfortable obviously and it's just harder to establish it's a different you know I'm, i don't have the, the the playbook quite yet for how to establish that sort of rapport over zoom obviously people players who recognize me like they say you know like oh hey like they're sort of you know they're, especially like you said, they're all happy to be back. So they're kind of in good, happy Australia type moods. 
but yeah, it's it's just a different sort of the different uh, yeah. tone and, for sure. And, and also on that, sorry, like with, with the setup, and again, this is just how, probably how it has to be, but in in Palermo, they're kind of sitting at a desk seemingly like staring at a screen right which yeah. is quite far away and that's just like even more like impersonal in, yeah in I mean, you feel like they could be somewhere a little more relaxed just in front of a laptop yeah. or something yeah yeah uh one thing I'm th i was thinking um about because obviously the setup right now with palermo is that uh the wta communications person who's alex Pryor over there he uh he unmutes you to talk it wasn't the case in in my pre-stuff because anyway it was just me and courtney and we were casual and it was fine and but in general when it's a bunch of us he unmutes you to ask a question and there's just so much control for the person you know if you want it i feel like when you're in a room even if there is a moderator and he's picking someone at the end of the day, you're in front of the player and you can always cut in and say something or if someone cuts you off or if you have a quick follow up or so many things that you can even you can walk you when they walk out the room and you need a quick follow, you can walk with them or do a quick walk and talk. And and now we don't have that at all. And I wonder if if we're ta if it's something controversial at some point, how that can be used. Can you suddenly be muted, for example? There I, I worry about the amount of control that the 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 moderator has right now because like what if we're having a, a, a what if what if we're talking about something controversial and a player is agitated can you suddenly be muted for example you know what yeah. i mean like yeah. you, you never know how far someone can take this and i am sure that at some point uh something will will happen like that in some shape or form so that's one of my concerns second of all obviously for me and for for both of you guys when we're on site we're always talking to coaches and things like that now basically we just need to have their phone numbers like and text them and figure out a way to to get them because i'm not sure that both tours are always going to help you get the coaches i'm sure they'll try to do something maybe but um it's just the fact that we're not on site we're not going to be not going to be able to do any of that one of the weird things for the pre-tournament press was that they were at such bizarre timings. Like usually when we're at a tournament and it's it's like all access hour, even if it's not one hour, it's like a two hour slot and players just come and go. Whereas actually the three interviews I did were on separate days and one of them was like 4 p.m., one was at 7 p.m. And so this makes it harder because you're not there, you're doing different things in a completely different time zone. Yeah. So that makes it tricky. I don't know if it, it, how it's going to be in other tournaments, but I hope that at least they can regulate it a bit for the pre-tournament press because that was kind of difficult. It's just also just a challenge having to be like, I mean, it's a challenge when you're at a tournament to make sure you get to every press conference and to make sure that like all the interview times or you're not somewhere else, you're not a match, you're ready for them to get delayed and pushed back, moved up, everything. It's a whole different like organizational challenge to do that when you're at home. And like have all the attractions being at home and being in a completely different place, six time zones away. Like I um, was going to be at this Petromartic uh, Zoom press conference today. We're recording this on Tuesday, and I just like completely forgot. Started doing something. I got the time. It was gonna be like forty-five minutes later. I got the time. I started doing something else. I sat down to watch some of the hockey that was on, and then I like um, was doing something else, working things. And then I got like an alert in the in the thread that we have from the from the. WTA that was like, oh, 
here's the audio from the Martyrs Press Conference. I was like, wow, I completely missed this. Okay, good, good for me. Like I, and uh, yes, that was not impressive, but I'll just have to get, wasn't a high stakes Martyrs thing other than telling Courtney I would be there and then not being there. So apologies to Courtney. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's just a different sort of skill set to be, because being at a tournament's a very specific sort of mode you get, as we're veterans of that, that you get into and being at home at the same time is uh, different. It's a different sort of multitasking you have to do. And I don't think, yeah. I don't, I definitely don't think it helps tournament coverage because my heart is not, obviously, I'm, I don't know if I'm planning on writing anything about it, but I am planning on, was planning on talking about it here at NCR. Um, my heart is not, I'm not in Palermo the same way I would normally be in Palermo mentally and physically. Yes, spe- speaking I'm of not- bubbles, so I was just going to say, speaking of bubbles, it's like, as you said, like when you're on site and kind of your whole day revolves around the tournament, you get into that zone. And yeah. I don't know, you're just a lot more plugged into everything that's going on and, you know, all the conversations. And so it's very, it's very, very, very different to just be sitting in your room yeah. speaking to people. I think Go one on, of my main concerns as well is that uh, when it's uh, Cincy and US Open, uh, I'm going to be in a terrible time zone for that. Uh, yeah. compared because I'm going to be in Egypt and I'm going to do, be doing wire services so I'm going to mm. be I have to like follow everything and be up all night and all that uh, as well as try and get into all the zooms and stuff like that and also I don't know how I'm going to follow all the matches up until now I don't know like at least we have WTA TV and tennis TV which show you most of the courts However, for something like the U.S. Open, what if I need to follow someone on court three or four or this or that? The tournaments are yet to tell us how we're going to get, if they're going to give us like a a non-geo-blocked stream for every single court. Um, And that's a very big concern for me because if I can't follow the matches, I I don't like writing about stuff I haven't watched. I'm sure all of us don't. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be, that's one, one, one concern for me. Speaking of tournaments we've been to, let's talk about the cancellation that happened this week for Madrid. Uh, the Madrid Mutua Masters Open, whatever, big pile of M's, uh, canceled this week in a sort of weird fashion where uh, the tournament announced that the government was advising them that it was like not wise to hold it for health reasons. Then a government official came out and said the tournament asked us to tell them <laughs> that it wasn't going to be wise, but they wanted cover to cancel, um, which I, by the way, I fully understand. They were going to lose so much money, I'm sure. Like all tournaments that are going ahead this year, Point this out are losing lots of money world team tennis lost lots of money like uh all these other things are not making the money that they would normally make uh so i fully understand i'm not at all mad at madrid for doing it just the way they did it was kind of <laughs> authentically madrid clunky hashtag ferrando lopez i i just wonder like and then we're in this odd situation where madrid canceling is actually almost undoubtedly great news for the u.s open because it meant that there's no longer a big tournament immediately the week after the U.S. Open. And so players might be more willing to go play in New York and not worried about, oh, they'll have no time for it for clay. Now you're going to have a full week off between the U.S. Open and Rome and potentially two full weeks off if you want to just play French Open afterwards. So it's all just weird. I don't know exactly what I think about it, but it means there will be no... Oh, the other thing we haven't mentioned on a podcast since the last happened here also is that China shut down for the entire year which is big, big news for WTA, especially they're losing Wuhan, they're losing Beijing, which are two of their biggest tournaments, and they're also losing Shenzhen, the World Tour, uh, the year-end championships event, uh, and Zhuhai, the elite trophy event, and several other events as well, Zhengzhou and whatnot. Uh, so, uh, w- so we have less and less who we're sort of having on the horizon here in tennis. What, what do you make of these, of the, before we get to US, we'll get to US Open in more depth, 
later. But what do you make of uh, this wave of post-US Open cancellations that we've gotten so far, uh, Tumani? I mean, yeah, as we speak right now, there are only three, I believe three tournaments post-WTA events left on the calendar. And one of them, I think Moscow is still in doubt because they don't have a, a they're not sure about the venue. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it goes back to kind of what we've talked about a million times about how difficult this all is and how every different territory has different rules. And it just, it just seems very difficult. You know, it doesn't, I don't know, it just, to me, it just, this, even though the US Open is going ahead and maybe the French Open will, or maybe, hey, maybe, you know, in, in a few weeks, things will look di as different as it does in Madrid. It's just, there's so much, it's just hard to be certain about anything. And to me, just as things are right now, it just doesn't really seem to be working. <laughs> in, if if we have so, if there are so few tournaments left on the calendar, you know? Yeah, can I think this about myself briefly? Like, I don't, like, I'm having a hard time grasping. Obviously, US Open is, like, usually the biggest tournament of my year as a, as a freelance writer works primarily for a New York paper. Like, it's where I get most of my work, you know, the big, most amount of work anywhere is uh, at the US Open. It's a big thing. And so, like, it's been there sort of hovering, but I've never been all that confident that it's going to happen. The U.S. Open, even as they say we're going ahead, we're going ahead now. Like they still have some question marks. They're planning going ahead, but they still have some major hurdles to get over in terms of travel between the U.S. and Europe and returns and like players left quarantine on their return from the U.S. Open. Like I, 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 I've never felt I think more. Right now, I would say I think there's probably about like a forty percent chance the U.S. Open happens, and that's on the lower end of what most people think. I think there's like a forty percent chance, which is like a number that's very tough to grapple with. Like you know, pragmatically, like, okay, so it's, you think it's more likely not to happen than happen, but it's still very possible it's going to happen. Like, just mentally, I don't know what to do with that, just from planning my own life. And I also just not sure what players make of that, too. And this kind of goes to what I was asking some players in Palermo also, and maybe, Reem, you got a sense of this, too. Like, everything is still moving. Like, there's there's no, as much as it is does feel like some stability, and it is some real stability, having a, a tournament like Palermo, real WTA, tennis real official sanctioned tennis back that does feel like a, a significant milestone but at the same time it sort of could be like a one-off or like close to a one-off like just sort of like this sort of like small eye of the storm in some way it's like a, almost a fake call it's almost like that one time when martina hingis came back in 2005 and played pataya city like it didn't really mean <laughs> anything and maybe she'd come back for good later but what was that one match in pataya city all about we still don't really know against marlena weigartner i think it, like what was that <laughs> That's sort of my analogy, which is terrible, but specific to this audience. So I thought they'd appreciate it. Um, Reem, what, yeah, what do you think about just the, 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 the uncertainty right now? How do, you, how, do you, how, do, how do we cope with that? How do players cope with that? Well, Mar Maria Sakari is the one who brought that up. And, and almost out of nowhere, she quickly said, all the players are so pissed off at the U.S. Open because mm. we don't know up until now if the tournaments in New York are taking place. And one of them is supposed to start in less than three weeks. And I, I totally understand that it is insane that you're literally talking to players uh, on August 1st and they have no idea if they're going to be playing a slam in, in less than four weeks. And, um, and actually, I note bizarrely, Kirsten Flipkins liked that my tweet that had mm -hmm. Sakari saying that. So obviously she agrees. And also the funny part is when you ask them about the specific uh, rules and 
protocols and stuff for their own countries, they don't actually know. So, like, I know that Vekic was like, my main concern is the whole quarantine thing upon return from uh, New York. And let's say someone makes it very deep in the US Open, that person would currently need to fly back to Europe, spend two weeks in isolation, and then it's going to be time for a French Open. So, I don't know how that's going to work at all uh, and they're tr- and that's actually the, the the missing the biggest missing part of this whole jigsaw puzzle basically is that the the quarantine upon return from the US so um nobody knows when you ask them straight out like oh so what's it like in Croatia like what do you need to do if you need to fly back home or like what? and they don't know no owns the same thing she's like I don't even know if I can go to the US like she doesn't know So, uh, yeah. Let, let me read that part of the U.S. Open document, which is out there now, the player Q&A document, um, which is relatively dense and, a little, and it's a lot of different bases it covers in a semi, somewhat random seeming order. Um, but the, the main sort of thing I think that's the most important, I, I have this on Twitter already, is the section travel back to Europe. And the question in this Q&A format is, when will players get confirmation on the ability for players to travel to Europe from the U.S. prior to players going to the U.S.? And the answer from the USDA is the USDA together with the ATP, WTA, FFT, Rome, and additional tour events in the calendar are making positive progress with, the confirming, with confirming the player's ability to travel to Europe from the US. Ongoing arrangements are being made to deliver onward travel based on ATP and WTA calendars. So positive progress means we don't know. Like maybe they're making some actual progress. Maybe they are. They, I'm guessing they are having real conversations with various you know, uh, departments of foreign travel, whatever different departments are called in different countries. Um, immigration services in different countries, basically, but like in border control, but we don't know. This is like still, this is when I talked to Mark Ein, who's the studio open tournament director, uh, when his tournament canceled, that was one of his main concerns was obviously the, at that point, the lack of quarantine on arrival from Europe had not yet been established. That has now been established. It seems like athlete exemption for that has been um, okayed in the US, but going back, we still do not know. And I just also just look at, um, and this is obviously people, you know, who hear me on here and I fluctuate between optimism and pessimism. I'm in a pessimistic mode right now. Um, like what you see what happened with Palermo, bring it back to that, like um, it seems they did not confirm this, but it seems entirely clear that the, there was one player who tested positive in Palermo who was uh, the uh, Bulgarian player Tomova. And that was one of the two countries Uh, Romania and Bulgaria that got special exemptions from the Italian quarantine rules so they could go play Palermo. And this is the thing that they pointed out when Simona Hallett pulled out, like, but you were going to get an exemption. It was all going to be fine. Like, how, how can you pull out now? If the player gets an exemption and then immediately goes and tests positive, you know what, maybe they should have had an exemption and maybe the rule was there for a good time, a good reason. And maybe we should not be making exceptions to public health rules and regulations or keeping people safe just so someone can go play a tennis tournament somewhere. Like, Come on, folks. Like, this is like the, 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 the risk reward is so stupid for all of this. Like, let's risk spreading the disease in a, in a place that's maybe on the right direction in terms of Palermo so that one additional player can play Palermo qualies. What? No. Terrible. And not even, and even if it's like, so even they can get a better top seed in Simona Halep. Still terrible. Like, not saying that Simona Halep is a disease vector for sure. I'm just saying that there, there's reasons these rules are in place, and I'm not comfortable with bending them for sports reasons. I just don't like that at all. 
uh, especially that these people are getting off flights. When, once you pass through an airport and get on an airplane, first of all, don't give an exemption to that person. That person is the last person on earth who needs an exemption. So I understand that then the, they're saying, okay, we're going to give you an exemption, but we're going to test you like crazy. But then you test positive and immediately you need to start tracing and figuring out if that player saw somebody else. What if, Actually, one thing I don't know, I know we're going to talk about that document, the USDA document more, but one thing I feel like wasn't in that document, and correct me if I'm wrong, with doubles partners, um, I mean, what if what if doubles partners who haven't started playing yet, but maybe have been practicing together, and one of them tests positive? I think there actually was a. I think there actually was a section about that. Hold on, let me keep talking. And I'll and I'll look this up. There's something on doubles, but they say we're gonna hand out more protocols for doubles. You know what I mean? But I, but I'm I'm very I'm very curious to know how that's gonna be handled, uh, because obviously they're saying like if um, any two people obviously rooming together, one of them tests positive, they're both out. Uh, things like that, but with, I don't know how it works with with doubles because for sure they're gonna be sharing a court and practicing even before they start playing. And what happens if one of them tests positive? I guess because what if they're in doubles and singles as well? You know, I don't know. It's confusing. That part is very confusing. That's so difficult to control. Tiffany, your thoughts basically on this? Uh, let's, let's 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 shift now to talking about this U.S. Open document. U.S. Open yeah. has more rules now. Obviously, we recorded it and then scrapped an episode we did right after the U.S. Open press conference uh, about the initial rules. Some more clarity to them now, some different things. They've changed the official hotel. Uh, they do seem to have more of a, a sort of code of conduct in place uh, than they did before, which is good because that was obviously a glaring omission uh, previously, as pointed out by several people, including myself and others. And um, this private housing thing, did you see this private housing section? Oof, with this, the security? That's what, wild. what on earth? Like, so, so this is, so previously they got, they, one of the rules they bent was that players would get their own private housing if they didn't want to stay in the hotels. Like, okay, but here are the rules for private housing. Uh, yes, athletes are permitted to stay in private housing under certain conditions noted in the private housing and protocols and requirements document, for example. Athletes staying in private housing are permitted this opportunity on the condition that they abide by the safety plan and risk mitigation figures. Okay, measures, excuse me. Next part, it's crazy. Athletes are required to have 24-hour security, pay for all costs with this 24-hour security, <laughs> and receive approval in advance by the USDA on the nature and type of security. USDA must be provided with access to the internal, external sec security egress <laughs> and ingress information for the duration of the time in private housing. What? Who is going to, like, what kind of, what kind of Gadda traveling Gaddafi nonsense is this? You can put up your own, like, tent with security outside? Like, what and, is this? And also, I'm wondering, so they're saying that as a player, let's say I'm a player, I'm going to pay for security to snitch on me or to what I don't want. Yeah, are you paying for jail guards? Exactly. Like, what is this? And also, athletes should not rent a property through other sources, such as VRBO, Airbnb, or any publicly available source. So you got to know a guy and then bring your security. Like, I, I think they should have just said no. Like, I don't yeah. know that anybody is going to do this. Like, I, for those who don't know, I mean, you might think like, players are like rock stars and they have security around them all the time. They do not. I know literally zero players who travel with security. Even someone like uh, Serena Williams who's like a big star and has had stalkers and other security issues. Like she's never traveled, except for very rare occasions with security people around her off site. So this idea that you should be, it is 
it is wild hoax this whole security thing like this like the secret <laughs> fortress setup like and i just don't understand why they're not just saying no instead of making this impossible it's like people who have a destiny it's like people who have a destination wedding and they don't want many guests like just just don't invite them no but i wonder if a, a, a top player already told them that they want to yeah. stay in a private home so they had to create an entire section for that that's my only the only explanation yeah, yeah. because why I, I, would they go through this nonsense yeah I, i'd agree I'd, I'd i'd imagine that maybe there was one person who, who wanted it and i don't know it just, it just it seems like it's designed to discourage people from going in private houses so as you said like why not just say no and you know it's yeah. i don't know it's very it, it's a lot and um, like all players like pretty much all players will stay at a hotel at some point during the year right like obviously some players the richer players tend to stay like at nicer off places whatever um, but generally, at some point, somebody will be at a, at, at a given hotel. Um, yeah. I found the doubles partner section this mm-hmm. is in, the, in the document. When is the deadline for me to change my doubles part? My, my change my doubles. Uh, in, I'm sorry, let me restart this. When is the deadline for me to change my doubles in case my partner is COVID nineteen positive? Consistent answer. Consistent with the existing rule and past practices. If a partner needs to be replaced, this will be permitted prior to the draw date time. This will be subject to the team with a replacement partner being a direct acceptance. Um, so basically, it's the same as any other withdrawal. There's really, um, as for all teams, both players are required to have two confirmed negative PCR tests before the start of the double. Yeah, but honestly, the security thing just gets me so much. Like, who, <laughs> who are these players? I know. Private security houses. I also saw that they're giving one. As soon as I saw that they're they're giving one parking pass for players who will stay in homes and drive. I'm like, but what's Novak gonna do with his truck? <laughs> <laughs> He needs two oh, passes. Needs the truck. <laughs> Loading dock privileges, please. All right. Uh, player experience. Uh, the U.S. will provide the player the following for player service and experiences. Bus transportation to and from site. Medical, physio, massage, fitness, recovery services at the hotel and on site. Practice court booking. Blah, 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 blah. Food and beverage will be available on site and at both hotels. Player will be permitted to order from Uber Eats or other local New York restaurants and have the food delivered to the official hotels. And also, uh, they can get food. Uh, this this part, I think, is to kind of be interesting to see. The players will also have full run of the grounds. Like they're gonna have the food court at like usually the fan food court. They open to themselves. They'll have like food set up mm. there. So they can just spread out, which is kind of that part, sort of nice. Um, but I'm curious with this. So to get back to like Vekic a little bit, like, do you think that like players will strike out? Like, if we see someone post an Instagram photo of themselves at like Rockefeller Center, should they be immediately DQ'd? Like, what do we think in terms of like how strict the level is going to be? and should be according to the documents it's quite uh, that's what actually martich was saying when we spoke to her a couple of days ago uh that they were told that you're gonna you're gonna get withdrawn from the tournament if you break any of these rules like it's gonna be that severe and and that document that you were just reading from it says that it says that like if you if you break a rule we're gonna do that sorry i can read that i found that statement um it says what happens if a player or permitted tier one guest leaves the bubble uh, if a player leaves the the Western Southern Open and or US Open bubble, without written permission of the chief medical officer or tournament director, the player will be removed from the competition. Yeah, so there you go. So if you take a walk or, you know, go do anything. And there's a financial also... And a penalty, said, financial penalty. Be a, yeah. And actually, if your coach or your guest does that, they won't be credentialed next year. Yeah. That's an extra thing if it's one of your guests. And, and they will be required to leave the hotel within 24 hours, which is... Let's get up. This, so is, this, but, is, this is much better than the, the lack of rules that they had. For yeah, example. absolutely. The trust system. Yeah. Much better. I, I think, yeah, because... Uh, yeah. So we, we obviously talked about this before when Ben asked um, Stacey Allister about what they were going to do. And she, I mean, as Ben has said, like, she 
kind of evaded the question and, you know, put her trust in the players. So I, I think this is necessary. You know, as we said earlier, players react to rules. These are the rules. If if you cross them, if you cross the line, you're out. I think that's fine and I think that's how it should be because, you know, if players do break the bubble and then everything, you know, blows up in everyone's face, then it's a disaster. So I think it should be there. And if players, you know, can't, don't want to abide by that, then chill at home for a couple of weeks. Here are two more thoughts. Um, the first one is this question. What if a player arrives on August, between August 15th and 18th and that's positive? Can they stay in the hotel, recover, and then play the U.S. Open? Uh, and the answer is basically yes. Uh, the individual will be isolated in the room, seen by a physician, and be allowed to recover in their hotel room after receiving approval from the USO chief medical officer making the for the US Open. So it's also going to be interesting, like, what is, I mean, I understand people with, who have had coronavirus are not lepers per se, like, you can't get over this and be fine. Um, but it is, it is sort of just still just like a little, like, I don't know, for me, it's a little like jarring to see, like, Grigor Dimitrov in, at the uh, UTS event. Like, oh, wow, he's already back. And it doesn't seem like he's fully well. He's playing okay. But, um, not fully well yet. And then this other thing, this is a big one, obviously, and this is what baseball is going through now. Um, this cute question. Will the USDA cancel the US Open if a certain number of players test positive during the event? How will the USDA decide if there are too many positive test results that could jeopardize the event and the health of other players on staff? And the answer, there are no guidelines available to determine what number will compel the USDA to cancel the Western Southern Open or US Open. This USDA has been consulting with officials, da 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 we will consult with the officials and see what situations may result in cancellation of the tournament. Um, so we don't know. We don't know what it's going to be like if positives start racking up. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll point out, and I sort of alluded to this a little bit with, I, with other sports before, events before, but like, I, I mean, I want to trust these test results we're going to be getting from these sports events, but I also don't. Like if, especially like in like baseball right now, I don't know if either of you are following baseball, baseball has had a growing number of teams testing positive and they don't really have a bubble to speak of, and they're traveling constantly still, and more people calling for them to cancel. Like, if you are a team, and I think all teams are doing their own testing, right? So if you're a team, why would you want to get, like, effective tests from now on? Why would you want to, like, have accurate tests if it goes shut down the season and hurt your business? Like, what, what, I, I don't, it's like, it's, you know, the same reason it's a problem that, like, tennis has its own, or previously even more when, like, uh, the tourists did their own drug testing, uh, performance testing, drug testing initially. Like, if you don't want to find positives, your testing probably won't be great. And I feel like it's the same issue with coronavirus in sports. So, yeah, so, I mean, is there a number of, of positives that, that should jeopardize the event? I mean, probably. I mean, again, my, my current thought is there should, there should be no U.S. Open. I just don't think it's – I think even if everything goes well, this is kind of my thought with World of Tennis, even if everything goes well, it's still like a weird, bad product, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I asked uh, Steve Simon, actually, uh, that specific question. I asked Steve Simon, WTACO, if there is a, a specific number of positive tests, like at a tournament or something, what are they going to do? And he was like, I was like, is, I was like, is there a number that you guys would hit and be like, we need to shut down? He's like, listen, we don't have a number, but we're ready to shut down. The second we think it's not working. Like, I think the WTA was very forthcoming about that in the sense that, um, and actually, I just want to go back to one of the things we were talking about, about um, uh, rule enforcement. I think the behavior of players over the last few weeks has forced not just the USDA, but also WTA to revise their stance on this because the WTA have 
uh, clarified, not in an official statement, but I have information from the WCA saying that, um, whereas in the in the past when I asked them if they're going to find players, if they break the bubble or if they break any rules or protocols, they said, no, a fine is going to be meaningless. Uh, but now they said, actually, we're going to evaluate this on a case-by-case basis. Um, and yes, someone might, could be withdrawn from a tournament if there are repeat offenders or if someone did something really bad. So I think they've realized over the past few weeks uh, that they need to to get things in writing. And uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the USA is very clear about that. And I think, no, I don't agree with you about the the testing because it's definitely not in their best interest to know that they have people who are positive because once it spreads in a field, you don't have a tournament. You know what I mean? Some people can be symptomatic. Some people can... It's. I mean, Grigor spoke about how difficult it was uh, for for several weeks after. So I don't, I don't think in tennis... It's it can spread so fast. I don't know. I don't think they would want to do that. I think it's easier for them to just have one out. I'm thinking since you don't have qualies, that's the part I don't understand. You don't have qualies. What's happening with lucky losers? Like what what happens if you have so many people pulling out? You might have a first round with no players. Yeah, I think in in, in the document, yeah, there's there's an alternate system. Yeah, and, no, but they said the alternate system players. is on-site people from from doubles players. Yeah, yeah, okay. which is bizarre. Because double, okay. I mean, yeah, come, I mean, let's let's on. see Bob Ryan play some singles. I mean, but I I I just uh, best of five, but I just think that um, <laughs> what was I going to say? This, that doesn't make any sense to me. No, it doesn't make much sense. But none of this does. Hmm. The what was I going to say about the oh, another rule they had here was isn't that locker room maximum capacity? Kind of yeah. Also, how can you guarantee that you only have thirty people at a certain time? That's what it is. Yes, I, I, yeah. I, to paraphrase, there's a rule like there will never be more than 30 people in the locker room. Like it could be a strict, you know, nightclub one in, one out policy. But like I just like don't see like players, especially if this goes to what Kai Yuvan was saying in Palermo. Once players think they're negative and like confirmed negative, their distancing is going to be poor to non-existent, I think. Yeah. You know, once you've taken a lot of tests, you feel, and this is the Dominic team, you know, uh, manifesto. Like once you've taken a lot of tests, you are free to do whatever you want because you've proven that you're negative and ain't nothing going to stop you now. So I, I don't know. And I just, I just also saw the way the social distancing was slipping over the course of the world in tennis season in terms of how much closer and closer they're getting together until that trophy photo of the end. There's no masks, no distance, nothing. Yeah. So, and, yeah. yeah. And, and going back to, you said you don't trust the testing. One thing I don't trust is actually, actually like the, you know, the, the players are going to have to give like a questionnaire or something, you know, where people, where they're asked about. Oh, right. Like, the, are, do you, are you feeling okay? Yeah. Yeah. I that. do not believe, even if a player like just has a cough or something, I, I do not believe for a second a player will say, yes, I, I have a cough. I have a temperature. No, no way. They'll wait for the test and that's all. And I mean, that could be the difference between it spreading to different people or not. So you get some of these private home security guards to rattle yeah. and be like, he was coughing all night. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> I heard him. Uh, and, and, and one more thing, sorry. I, I think, I, I think, in terms of like what would force a tournament to stop. I mean, I think w- when it becomes clear that it's spreading, you know, across the like the population and the players. I think at some point there would be huge public pressure and criticism and all of that stuff, and and that's when, you know, that's when we'll, we'll see what the tournament does because 
you know, people aren't, if, if they're, if they do start piling up, then I feel like, you know, the public relations, you know, might take over itself, if you get what I mean. Yeah, no, totally. And, and I think, yeah, especially symptomatic players, you know, we've had issues with symptomatic players playing twice already. This goes to your self-reporting, both Grigor and uh, Francis Tiafo both played exhibition matches during this time uh, while feeling unwell. So you know, self-reporting, and that's for <laughs> exhibitions, not even talking about Grand Slam points and prize money. So the self-reporting yeah. point is, is very well taken. I, yeah, I, I'm wishing them well. And I, well, I hope my first thought is that you stop. I mean, the best way to not have an outbreak of Venom tennis tournament is not to have a tennis tournament. Uh, I will repeat that logic. And I also just think that, like, I also just think that I, I was talking about this with Mark Ein on the show, too. Like, I just also just don't think, well, I was saying it a little differently at the time, but, like, I don't think a, a tournament model is the right thing to be doing during this time. I don't think we should be having single elimination tournaments. Like, somebody, like, hauls her cookies all the way from Europe, gets, like, five nasal tests, goes to the U.S. and then loses like three and two in the first round and it's out. Is that a good use of resources on any level? Like, no, it's not. Like, so there should be some, like, I'd be totally fine with, and maybe, and this can be a 2021 type idea, give a little more time for this. If we're still in the middle of this mess and as the 2021 season starts, by all indications, we will be. Do something more like a round robin situation or a league or something that has fewer players, players playing multiple matches, you know, just invite, like, and they can be, they don't have to be, they can give ranking points or not. I don't really care. Um, probably they do, they could give ranking points. They actually want to be a tour type thing. But just something that's not going to be such a, a poor use of people. Because, like, half people who are in this bubble, as per tennis tournament's math, will be out after one round. And it's yeah, like, but the you ever even going to make $40,000. So. I know, but, like, is that still just even, like, a good use of, like, of space and time and resources and everybody's, and risk to bring more and more and more people in who you really don't need. Like, could this have just been a 64-person US Open? I think that would have been fine. No, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying the US Open should happen, but I totally understand why uh, uh, world number 80 or world number 100, or even at this point, world number 125, who's going to be direct entry, uh, it wants to, wants oh, to go... Oh, fully, fully, fully. Yeah, play play US Open and make $40,000 and lose first round and go through all of that. I mean, I, I understand. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I just, I just don't know if it's, if it's. I understand what they want it, but I just don't. I don't know. Like I'm watching these. I was watching some of the, the NHL, and like, it's like they had every team got one warm up game in the system, and then like the teams who were ranked between like uh, to translate between like nine and twenty four go into like best of five series against each other. So everyone's playing a minimum of four games. They're coming back. In U.S. Open, especially best of three, and I love best of three to be clear, but you could be out there for less than an hour and have your and have your your game over, <laughs> and yeah. and that's just like for all for all of the you know moving continents it's taking to have, make this happen. That just seems like a weird sort of payoff. Yeah. Granted, lots of sports, you know, people go train for the Olympics and do one <laughs> losing the first round of some hundred meter dash. Like I guess that happens, but um, you know it's. Uh, yeah, it, it just strikes me as another time when tennis, tennis being rigid in these ways that it stayed rigid too. Like there being the reason we're having the U.S. Open in uh, late August, early September is because the U.S. Open is always in late August, early September. Not because New York is ready. It's because that's just it's it's the inertia of it, and the inertia is so strong in tennis, and the lack yeah. of flexibility, especially compa- again compared to NBA, especially NHL, invented this whole new format for their playoffs and everything. Like 
like other sports have been able to be so much more nimble and tennis is yeah. not being nimble at all. I'd add that and I'm the sure Reem, I'm sure Reem kind of has, might have thoughts as well, but with F1, I've started to watch a lot of F1 recently and mm. like they just completely kind of tore up their calendar in terms of, I mean, there, there are no, um, to, obviously no Australian, no China, like immediately they kind of cut that out and they're in Europe and I don't know that they seemed, you know, it seems a, a, lot, a bit more similar to kind of jumping from country to country and I don't know they do an, uh, a sport like that seems more nimble than tennis where I, mean, I was thinking said, I was thinking that in terms of the restart like once China cancels right like why not see if you can put like remember when Indian Wells postponed yeah. they didn't cancel they postponed right so once you get Beijing canceling why can't Indian Wells and maybe they don't have enough time or whatever but like in other sports it would happen like they would just sort of be like, hey, we're going to be in Indian Wells instead. And not saying there should be an event in California either. I don't know if anywhere in the U.S. is the right place to have a tennis tournament right now or anywhere in the world, honestly, pretty much. Um, but yeah, there's just a real lack of, lack of creativity and a lot of like, and when you talk yeah. to tour executives, they, they tell you so much about why things can't happen and like, oh, everything is really so tough. And just like, I think I do believe how, that the world is away. How can, it's the travel. How can you, how can yeah. people be in the States and then go play Paris and then go back to the States? Well, this, okay, this, uh, goes, to my, this goes to my other issue with, with and this is what I was, again, talking about on a recent episode. Like, tennis should be, the, the tour idea needs to stop. Like, granted, like, they're having, they're planning on having fans. There are fans in Palermo, some. Um, actually, a decent number, considering, yeah, I don't know. I was, pro- I was surprised. Pro- probably not that many less than they usually have, honestly, if I had to guess. Um, <laughs> And then they're planning on still having some five-digit number of fans at the French Open currently. Uh, so, so that's the reason why you have a tour is to get in different markets, different fan bases. It's like a band who goes on tour. Like you just play to different audiences. But other than that, like if you're having closed tournaments, you should be not traveling at all. Like maybe it would have made more sense on some level to play the U.S. No, I would say play the U.S. in Europe would be a little much. But you know. At the same time, but at the same time, why not? Like, certainly, I don't understand why there hasn't been more consolidation, like what Cincinnati did. Cincinnati was like, we can have our tournament. It's gonna be fanless. Why not put it in a different state? Like, sure, we'll put it in New York, play it in the same venue. And then they should have also, they could have also had Washington. They could have also had uh, Winston Salem there. They could have had other events there as well, or Winston Salem the week after. But also, but yeah, but then when you see the protocols that they're going to need and the, you know, <laughs> the 24 hour security that they're going to want at private houses, like you realize how difficult it is to get even the most essential events. And then the others just seem like you're cutting a lot of corners. Like, like Gasquet said, you know, it's not about Palermo and it should, if, if it's not a good idea, then yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the, any smaller tournament can't afford to have that set up. They don't have the money for it. They right. can't. They can't book entire hotels. They can't have the... Like, I know the WTA sent me a list of protocols. It wasn't really complete, but it was part of their list of protocols. And it involved having, like, a a, a, a disease control specialist on site all the time and things like that. And, and that's very costly. So uh, the, the, the 250s and international level tournaments, it's very difficult to afford uh, a proper bubble. And, yeah... I mean, I think at this point with Chi- with all of the Asian calendar scrap, I think that maybe all of a sudden we might find some Euro- Indo-European tournaments pop up in that uh, time frame. You never know. I'm not ruling that out, yeah. to be honest. I mean, things are changing but so fast. If, if like Estoril wants to come back, like why not? 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, if if tennis is still happening, because honestly, I think I wrote that in my piece, this might be a very, very short-lived restart, honestly, because it might not work, right? No. Like, we don't... I mean, it, it, sorry, in, indoors is still a question mark as well. I mean, here in, in London, the O2, you know, whether that's going to be open for people to actually, you know, for, for sports to take place in it, that's still a question mark. And so, it, I, I mean, I, I'm just saying, I, I agree with Reem that, like, after after the French Open in particular, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. There's a lot we don't know, but we know that we are very grateful to Tamani Carroll and Reem Abalel for being on this episode of NCR. Any any closing thoughts here from any, anything else we didn't uh, get to say from either of you before we, uh, before we go? I think we've said enough about the barbaric calendar. Oh my gosh, let's, let's, let's talk about this word. So the entrance for U.S. Open, uh, Ash Barty is the is the only pull out of the top twenty five of the WTA. So that's overall a very strong field. Yes, Ash Barty is number one, and so it's off the top. But like twenty four top twenty five for U.S. Open is like as good as you'd hope for in any year, basically. Uh, so that's it's still early. It's still everyone's still trying to pull out. Like Simona Howell, I think everyone kind of expects won't play. She's been very reluctant, so we'll see how that goes. But overall, early impression is fine. Rafael Nadal, defending champion, uh, three-time U.S. Open champion, I believe. Shockingly, the player who won U.S. Open more than any other man in the 2010s decade, which is still one of the weirder stats to me. He comes out and says that he's not that he. Well, let me read his statement because it's it's worth it's worth digesting as a whole. I mean, I know Tuvani and I, we speak Spanish, so I know what he's yeah. trying to say. But <laughs> well, no, but no, but, honestly, but, but also this he, is not the time to use Google Translate. But also he Google Translate, English, yeah. <laughs> but also he speaks English. So here we go. Here's his English language statement. After many thoughts, I have decided not to play this year's US Open. The situation is very complicated worldwide. The COVID-19 cases are increasing. It looks like we still don't have control of it. That's all correct. That's all undisputedly correct. Second paragraph <laughs> is where it gets interesting. We know that the reduced tennis calendar is barbaric this year after four months stuck with no play. I understand and thank you for the efforts they are putting in to make it happen. We've just seen the announcement of Madrid not being played this year. Okay, let's, let's rewind to the word barbaric. <laughs> calendar, yes, it's crowded. Is it barbaric? No, it is not barbaric. <laughs> and if it is barbaric... Okay, just your, your thoughts on the word barbaric, please. Uh, um, well, Tumani, Reem, do you want to take this one? Yeah, well, so, so it, it's, it's from the Spanish word. Spanish phrase una barbaridad, which means yeah. like I mean it's hard to like describe, but it's just like I mean it's really maybe really tough. I don't know. It's yeah. it's what you it's, it's the word like that you saying brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, exactly. Or like yeah, yeah. They, they they he could have said brutal and it would have been the same. But like yeah. it's just one of those uh, dramatic words that Spaniards use that is not it's it's not as dramatic for them as yeah. it like would polemic. be in English, but it's just, yeah. <laughs> It's just, a, yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he uses a bunch of these. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's why Google that. Translate isn't good. I know. Always and I'm also, that's why the it, it reminded me of the statement from uh, Palermo when Simona Halle pulled out and they said, yeah. We are embittered. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last line? We are embittered with something? I don't remember. With disappointment. Yeah, deep, or it was something. like deep bitterness or whatever. Yeah, it was, like, it was much bitterness. Yeah. We think it. No, no, there, there literally was embittered. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. someone used Google Translate. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just do think that Rafael Nadal pays people to write these things for him, and he should maybe get better people, because um, this is this is pretty ridiculous. And then he finishes, yeah, and and he also does not mention anything. But here he ends. This is a decision I never wanted to take, but I've decided to follow my heart this time. For the time being, I'd rather not travel. And I'm wondering 
if you if we all think Nadal, which is okay, it's a big deal that Rafael Nadal, who's a cha- who's defending champion, has a chance to tie the all-time Slam record, is like thanks but no thanks to the U.S. Open. That's remarkable. Just like, let's let's put that yeah. out there. And then, I mean, we assume right that he's gonna play the French Open. We obviously assume that, right? But he says he I'd rather not travel. He didn't say travel far, travel across oceans. He just says rather not travel. So is is it possible that? The I, I guess my question is: Do you think everyone who can play the French Open will play? Is this a unique New York perception of danger? I think or, or? everyone. Yeah, I think everyone will play the French Open. I haven't I haven't heard a single player say anything negative so far about the French Open. If I'm not mistaken, Rafa even did French Open related press. Remember that Zoom call that was related to some French Open stuff. I don't know if you remember. Tumani, you were on that one. I don't. Th- I, I I think. People see Europe as doable, and there's more European players, I guess, than non-European players in the field, uh, I guess. I'm not sure. Do we think that Rafa would have played the US Open if it wasn't for the ranking points situation, where he gets to keep all his ranking points for not playing? Is that a factor, do you think? I, I, no, I, I don't think so. I, 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 think, I, don't, I, don't I think, think so. I wouldn't think so. No, I think he's like the thing with Rafa is that from the very beginning, from quarantine, he's been very consistent about his kind of stance and you know, about how, you know, while, you know, that when, when he was in quarantine, how much it affected him when he was out, you know, how much he wasn't really kind of thinking about the US Open at, at that time when everyone was asking about it. So, like, fair enough, honestly, I, I think he's been very consistent throughout and, you know, he's made, you know, he's taken his, his stance, you know, what he, he thinks and he's followed it through, you know, we've had other players. I mean, you think about Barty who, I'm oh, sorry, I'm about Hallett, who was actually one of the kind of the first people who were, like, who was really kind of questioning whether to go to the US Open and then kind of as um, I'm not sure if this is related but as soon as Madrid kind of went off the calendar and suddenly her name was you know we still don't know if she's actually going to play but clearly she's considering it in a way that Rafa seems to have made like his decision and stuck with it so fair enough I think I think especially with the women and I think with the men too I mean obviously this is going to be the their stat was pouncing pouncing out today this will be the first Grand Slam without Federer or Nadal since the 90s, since the 1999 US Open was the last time that neither of them were in a main draw of a slam. Um, but I, that being said, and it also Monfils is missing, which is a little surprising yeah. to me. I thought Monfils, because Monfils loves New York, so I thought he would actually would play. I'm a little I surprised think Monfils is just going to stay on his boat. I know, and just dance. <laughs> that was spectacular. I mean, if, if I have access to a boat like that, I don't know who he's with. This is not his boat, I feel. I feel this is someone else's boat, but who cares? Uh, he's in a good mood. He's dancing. Just stay there, dude. No need. People aren't going to like this, but speaking of barbaric, talk about doing a photo shoot with your new yacht during a pandemic. Anyway, speaking mm-hmm. of Rafa. <laughs> um, I, to get to the loaded fields, I think this is like, I think we had a discussion, maybe I'm here other places. Like, I feel like these fields are, if they hold at current interest levels, are plenty strong enough to where, like, there would not need, quote unquote, to be much asterisking, right? Certainly WTA, 24 of top 25, that's everybody. The, yeah, but I don't trust these entry lists for one reason. I think these players all, because the WTA and ATP had to submit lists to get the waivers to get into immigration, the country, yeah. which is yeah, a yeah. big thing. I think that everyone was like, you know what? I'm gonna sign in. I'm gonna get that waiver. I still might not go. A good point. Honestly, yeah. so that's why when I saw that, I was like, eh. I, I understand that, but if they hold, these are these, yeah. these are great fields. Yeah. yeah, better than yeah, better than yeah, I be- better than yeah. Also, 
another player who isn't playing is former 2016 champion Vavrinka, who that's surprising thinking, to me too. Yeah, I was thinking like he's 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 had a pretty like good kind of year and a bit in terms of just like you know with the whole Gimel stuff thing, he he made a stance there. You know, with this, I don't know. He, he just he just you know um Simon Cambers tweeted about it. You know, he said, by the way, uh, Stan Wawrinka's not playing here. And the re- Stan's response was just a shrug emoji. And... Which made the tennis pocket slip out. They're like, what does this mean? What does this yeah. mean? <laughs> what <laughs> is a shrug? <laughs> what is a shrug? Like, I think we get it. It was like, yeah. but um, it's interesting your reaction to that, Shmai, that like you see players not playing as doing the right thing. Not, not, necessarily, not, not necessarily doing the right thing, but just like having a consistent stance and also just being like, you know, this is what I think. I'm not just going to play because... I should play or because there are points or because this or that, but I mean, it's just one slam tournament, you know, it, it, what, what, you know, sure. Maybe Vavrinka will, you know, explode at, could have gone there, exploded and won his fourth slam or whatever. But I mean, there's another one in two weeks. Like that's the thing with tennis as, as well. Like there, it's not the Olympics, you know, <laughs> they got on and on. Vavrinka was also a 2016 Olympic skipper during Zika. And then he came back one US Open weeks later. Oh yeah. Yeah. Also, I think, you know what Andy Murray said that like he's been out for so long and a slam is a big deal for him and this and that. So it really depends on how the player sees an opportunity of playing a slam. So yeah. a lot of them are like, who knows how many slams I'm going to play? Others are like, I'm fine. You know, so I think that plays a factor. And I think what you said, Ben, in terms of the asterisk thing, I think with the men, if you let's say Novak lo- loses to a Medvedev or a team or something, I think whoever wins that tournament would be like, oh, but Roger and Rafa were not there. I hope not. I hope there's not. I hope there's a little more self-esteem with these boys. They could be like, I, I mean, want a Grand Slam. I mean, when they're lifting their Slam trophy in front of absolutely nobody, maybe they won't feel like it's, <laughs> it's, the, biggest, it's the, the best thing in the world. <laughs> that, that's, that's one the thing that I've just been think, think, thinking funny. about, right? Just the trophy picture and then just emptiness. You know, the, the hugest stadium in the world. Because, and there's nobody there. I mean, it's maybe hopefully they'll let the coach me. on the court or something by that point. But like, Just golf class. It is you know? funny. <laughs> I had cause I, yeah like a team sport that have like the team to solve it with but it's a person there's like one person like yeah my trophy that's that's like walk away one one like Espe- take away from especially that only one person has access to Arthur Ashe competition areas with so imagine that person's like literally that player's box has one person in it <laughs> yeah and and that's why like one of my takeaways from Palermo was that like we're we're used to watching tennis where very few people are watching as you said like it's probably about the the small crowd in Palermo is probably about the same amount of people that's n- normally at some of these events but you put that on a in a court with a huge stadium you know yeah. that goes up into like the 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 sky that touches the moon and it's just like what the heck this is gonna I, be so strange to me it's I gonna remember be there, was, and there was there was a i think it was like a fourth round u.s open match or something maybe it was third it's a federer night, night session match the u.s open it was the first match of the night session and there was some issue with like letting fans in and so he played the first like three games in front of maybe like less than 100 people. And it was weird. Even just watching it on TV, having Federer, who normally people go so nuts for so often, playing in front of like empty seats, even for like 10 minutes, was truly disorienting. It was like, what is this? Now, there are other sports that have done different groups. I can bring up hockey, but hockey has made, I don't know if either of you have seen any clips of them, but like they've tarped off the things. They made it look like somewhat between, they're holding it in regular arenas, but like really made it look smaller covered up all the empty seats and at least in the lower deck and uh, just made it look 
like a more interesting sort of battle dome type situation, almost like video game-ish in some way. Um, I don't know what tenants would look like. I think you need to cover up seats for sure. Um, but that's expensive. Very so maybe they won't. Well, yeah, but that's true. But like, it, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what it's going to look like. I feel like I, again, that's my that's my, my fear with U.S. Open. Like everything, and if they get a great field. Like okay, but like everything, even if everything goes well, it's still going to be weird, right? Yeah. Like the upside is just still weird. Like it's still oh, empty trophies. Yeah, you know? the, the 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 trophy ceremony, like the the announcer announcing the prize money to absolutely nobody, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. I know, right? No, it is going to be strange. So another thing just about the asterisk thing, you know how they always say, like, to win a slam, you have to be at least two of the big three and this and that. And, and now if it's just going to be one, I think everyone, everyone's always obsessed with the big three anyway. So if two of them are not there, I think that's always going to be a thing. I think this would be a good test for people to get, I say this with love to the tennis fan base, to kind of get over the whole big three thing. Like they're not here forever. Like here's your chance to like enjoy tennis with other players who are capable tennis players, whether or not they've shown it previously, <laughs> but they are in theory. And let's let them have a, a slam chance themselves. I mean, there's certainly obviously women's that we've had plenty of really kind of random seeming deep runs of slams and champions. Um, normally they've done something to sort of earn it, quote unquote, like Ostapenko beat Halep in the final. And, you know, people was Nyaki en route and had a good one over Paczynski, who was a passing finalist and stuff. But, you know, um, Kennan, you know, beat Ash Barty on the way to Hurstland. They won a bunch of tournaments, whatever. And other people, you can kind of, you can sort of backwards logic out why it makes sense they won. Even like Panetta, when she won. Like, yeah, she won Indian Wells two years before. Like, she was had, you know, a record that made, made sense. Um, it's entirely possible, especially on the men's side, there will be some champion here who does not fit that description if it's not Djokovic. I mean, basically, or Medvedev. Like, I think arguably everybody else is, like, a little bit random in their own way. Do, do you think that Novak winning would reflect badly on the rest of the tour? Like, if he just walked it? No. Because, he, he, does, he did that he's in Australia yeah, course, every year. But, but like, I don't know, just the fact that, you know, as, as we said before, like, you know, people always say, oh, you, you have to beat, there's always two big, two, you know, you have to beat Nadal and, and Djokovic or, you know, they're so difficult. Well, this is kind of, the the best opportunity right and and if oh and yeah just try... i think it's gonna be like <laughs> recently recovered novak djokovic from covid19 uh, you know like, <laughs> like with <laughs> seriously yeah. do that remember... covid comes back <laughs> and, be... <laughs> and wins that is that is amusing i i will say i do think um sam queries is something sam query it's underrated for having a lot of surprising insights. And Sam Query said something in 2017 U.S. Open. Um, if you remember that tournament, it was the one where the draws were incredibly lopsided. But once Murray pulled out, mm. like everybody was, was in the top Pablo half. Pablo Carreño Busta. Yeah, but Pablo, Carreño, Pablo Carreño Busta mm. played four qualifiers to make the quarterfinals, <laughs> and then um, and then beat Schwartzman to make his first slam, only to date slam semi. And um, and the other quarter, I believe, was Anderson Query. And Query, after he lost, was like, yeah, everyone says it's an open draw on this side. And it probably was. However, that doesn't mean that everybody who didn't make the final was a flop. Like, only one person can still make the final. Like, it will still be tough to, like, do well at this U.S. Open, even if not everybody is there. Which I thought was insightful at the time. Maybe you had to be there. But I, 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 just, uh, I just remember thinking, like, yeah, that's right. Because, like, we do say, like, wow, there's so much opportunity. For, but it can't be opportunity for everybody. You can't have, like, everybody, you know, 
you know, like even when we like, what's, what's like, okay, a classic like loan opportunity type match you talk about, like Sam Stoser 2010 French Open final, right? Against Schiavone. If Schiavone was there too, it was an opportunity for her also. Like only one of them can win it. Yeah, anyway. No, I get that. And I think in general, one thing that um, maybe is not talked about enough is that like whoever wins the slam is someone who hadn't played in five months and then just took so many tests and had that thing stuck up his nose and then did this and locked himself in a room and blah, 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 blah. Like a lot of different and had one person with him on site or two, whatever. It's going to be three. But anyway. Uh, it's not going to be easy. I think whoever no, wins the slam, it's, it will best not of five be easy. especially, it will not be easy Goodness, for yeah. people playing best of five and winning seven matches in 14 days after yeah. playing Cincinnati uh, yeah. the week before. I, I should I should say on that as well, like we, we've seen just this week in Palermo that players, like quite a few players have been injured. Von Drusova, her, her knee, Irani was like, I mean, you know, she usually three sets any day. She was like exhausted by the end, like, this is coming back so quickly. It's tough, and these guys are going to play best of five. I mean, good luck to them. Just honestly, good luck to them. That's honest, all I have to say. Honestly, guys, <laughs> it is barbaric. <laughs> barbaric. I think that's a good way to end this, no? <laughs> that is a good barbaric ending to this otherwise lovely episode. Uh, Tumana Cario, Reem Abalel, thank you very much for being here. Uh, Reem, I will quickly plug the first round is now up and the second part will be going up shortly of our codenames game with you me courtney and your partner on shaber is now uh up on our patreon thank you for for doing that hope you have you had a chance to rewatch it yeah i watched parts of it it's just a shame that i know what happened in the end so <laughs> <laughs> that's the bad part <laughs> yeah take some of the element of surprise away no, there's yeah. some, i'm still really proud of my uh my savannah clue weeks later so far i'm still laughing that i'm still laughing at courtney saying i only know two things about (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like yes and one of what are those things (laughs) anyway uh hope you guys check it out on our patreon patreon.com slash no challenge rating and uh that video is there and a bunch of other content and reem also has her patreon which you should support uh patreon.com slash reem so please go run don't walk to her patreon as well and to my no patreon but is you know full-time employment sounds nice also so um you have that going for you and uh you're on twitter as well so guys thank you very much for being here appreciate it thank, thank you, you for having us so thank you very much to reem and timani once more for being back on ncr once again this year have really appreciated their consistent willingness to come share their insights and wisdom with me and with the rest of y'all so thanks again once to them and thank you guys for listening to no challenges remaining if you want to follow along when you're not listening, the best way to do so is probably on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. We are also available on email, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. If you have any questions or thoughts for future episodes or just general queries, whatever else. And we are especially available to you on Patreon. We want to thank all of our loyal Patreon backers for continuing to support us during this uh, tough year for us. Otherwise, it's been a huge help truly to have your your help and your generosity with us during this year and during all this uncertainty. Otherwise it's been very meaningful and very uh, helpful. So truly thank you very much for that. want to thank new backer since last time at the challenger level, new backer, Phil Guidry, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Thank you, Phil, for being a new backer. And since this is the first episode of the new month of August, I'm going to read off a bunch of more backers. Uh, who get their monthly thanks here on tour level backers. These are Colin Mary, Leah Williams, Annie Kim, Russell Baker, JB Wogan, Carol Allen, 
Jillian Dobson, Helene DeVitt, Andrew, The Body Surf Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Steph Chow, Greer Millard, Brett Halsey, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Rumdwolf Wong, KS, Jeremy Blackstock, Dermot Harkin, and Lori Porter. And then also to thank our Slam Champ backers who we thank every show. They would be Audrey Wellens, Joseph Har, Susanna W., Mary Carrillo, Liz Kennel, Chuang Nguyen, Jonathan Weinbaum, and Betty. And especially our goat backer, J-O-D. So thank you very much to all of you for all of your support. Again, means a lot. And I want to leave you guys, all of you, Patreon backers or not, with uh, a little treat. Surprise, Diana Yashremska, for anyone who has followed her, has had a surprising uh, quarantine period on social media, to put it mildly. Lots of different things. Uh, uh, pleasant and unpleasant surprises, but a very pleasant surprise, I think, fair to say, was her recent uh, re- musical efforts, uh, which we asked her about during uh, her press conference in uh, Palermo. So to play us out here, here's first a clip of, of me and I think maybe Courtney talking to her about her music, and then let's hear a bit of her new song, Uyubimi uh, Trick, which means favorite track or favorite song. Here it is. I think it's a bit of a bop, you guys. See you later. Time at home. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, you were very active during your time off um, with the foundation, with the music video, with everything that that was happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and and, and you t- it seemed like you really took advantage of the five months to do other projects, you know, and not just you know sit at home. What 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 was your motivation behind those things, and what was your kind of favorite non tennis thing that you never normally get to do thing that you got to do? Mm, you know when the quarantine started I was like okay what I have to do before I've been practicing and playing tournaments and now I have plenty of time and um, I had uh, my like relationships almost for two years and then uh, it's finished so I didn't really know where to put all my emotions or my thoughts so I decided to write the song and that was my first song about everything private what was going on the past two years um, and that's kind of helped me so my second song it was about the car about the speed and um, about just love but it wasn't associated with nothing it was just the fun <laughs> I actually wanted to ask about the song too, the favorite track song. I was probably like at least five times since it came out. Uh, I'm curious, like what what was what was the is this something you've wanted to do for a long time? Is this something that you want to keep doing as you keep playing? Uh, I, know, I think I surprised a lot of people with this song, and I know a lot, I saw a lot of positive reactions from people and other players to it. Um, well, I like to sing, but I never been doing that before. So can you imagine my first song? I never been singing before. My sister is singing very good and my father. And uh, me, never. I always been like starting to singing and my family tells me, shut up. <laughs> yes, that's true. And uh, I decided to write the song. I went to Kiev to studio. I spent there seven hours. Mm. And then my track got ready. I listened and I thought, oh, that's not too bad. <laughs> and then I thought that maybe I can uh, post it. 
And uh, after people started to text me, do one more track, we are waiting for the new track. And um, I didn't know what to write. I didn't have any inspiration for writing. But then before I, leave, I, before I fly here to Italy, uh, one week before that, I thought that um, why not to write another track? I didn't know which name to give to that track. And I just thought, okay, that will be a favorite track. And then I started to write and plus there was one guy who helped me to write. And um, I don't know, it just came in by itself like that. <laughs> Помнишь, что не вспоминаю Помнишь, что не вспоминаю 